Welcome to the Homegrown Podcast, the place where we share the truth about food and farming from our kitchen to yours. I'm your host, Liz Hazelmeyer, along with my husband, Joey. Good morning. <laughs> Together, we hope to inspire, educate, and equip you in your pursuit of true nourishment. So, this is podcast number one of the Homegrown Podcast. Can't say I would have predicted that we'd be here, but I'm excited about it. I love it. But I also just love talking. I know. I love talking to you. So it's it's a win-win. That's why you're my co-host. It works out. <clears throat> so let's chat for just a second about why we're even doing this podcast. Um, we are basically excited to explore the podcast route because we were looking for an extension to the community that already exists around homegrown education. So if you're new to us or our family or our story, um, there's an awesome community growing on Instagram at homegrown education. Um, and it's just really a place where people come together and we're all sort of really nerdy about food and nutrition and, um, traditional ways of living and eating and, you know, getting close to your farmer and everyone's on different parts of their journey. And, uh, it's, it's just a, a fun corner of the internet. And so we're trying to expand that a bit because some of the topics we talk about on there um, just deserve more space than, you know, the caption limit on an Instagram post or the stories um, in a day. So that's kind of what this podcast is. This is me and Joey. Um, You know, you'll see a little bit behind the scenes into our family as well, but it's mostly just an extended conversation about the things that we already love talking about. Um, Real food. Uh, raising children in a world with, you know, lots of food confusion and diet culture and um, stewarding our health and our resources well. I'm, I think that that will come up in the conversation today. So a couple things you can expect from this podcast. It's going to be me and Joey um, back and forth. Occasionally, we hope to have some guests on in the future. And um you know, like I said, our, our basic rundown of topics are things that you um, have already potentially seen on our other platforms and then to go deeper with those. And finally, we want to give people a lens into realistically what we do as a family when it comes to nourishment, when it comes to um, cooking in the home and cooking from scratch, all those things. So we are the Hazelmeyers. If you have not met us yet, we are a family of five. We have three daughters, ages 11, five, and one, and uh, we're a homeschooling family. And we live in the suburbs. We don't even have chickens <laughs> or any land of any sort, uh, aside from our little green plot in our on our street. And um, And yet we're super passionate about real food and we long to connect with our food producer and um, our local farms because of our sort of lack of homesteading reality. So um, a lot of what we talk about comes from that perspective of being a family of five in the suburbs and also one who um, still wants to engage with, with the local food economy. So... Do you have anything to add? No, I just, I think that not having the land and being passionate about it, we recognize that, you know, doing this podcast, maybe we can 
it was a long journey to get here. I know we're going to talk about that today. Yeah. But it was a long journey to get to a lot of the solutions that we found. And there was no central location for us to find all of those solutions. And um, excited to share all those. Cool. So speaking of our journey, um, I do want to talk about sort of the progression of how we have viewed food and health and nutrition as a family because, um, you know, a lot of the work I do is creating resources for people who are just starting out, really, either their children, <laughs> and so they're building their foundation, their foundational understanding of food, or they're adults and they're like, hey, this, this world of how should I really eat and all these conflicting um, stories and, and what's the truth that can get confusing and overwhelming. So something I genuinely love and have always loved is taking big topics and boiling them down into bite-sized pieces for people to consume. Because if we have an overload of information, there's no way we can have action behind it. All that to say is uh, I want to recognize and honor (laughs) where we started because um seven years ago six years ago how long have we been in this house six years in April okay so seven just about seven years ago we were living in an apartment and um first married and we did not hold the same understanding of food and nourishment and the importance that food played in our overall health and all those things and so you know, Joey, as we'll talk about later as well, has always come from a hunting family. So we've always had a piece of being close to your food or having some effort involved in putting it on your plate. But then, you know, we were eating a very standard American diet otherwise. Any particular things you will recall from that time I, period? I, re- I recall dinners then versus dinners now is, is a major contrast and i won't go into now because i know we're going to get there but dinner back then was protein veggie starch but you know we were both we were both going right i was i was in college i was playing soccer and i was working uh, most nights i didn't get home till 9 30 10 because um, you know I'd, i had a training in the morning i would have work I would come back to school for class and then I would have practice. I would get home from practice 9, 30, 10 at night. And you were working full time. By the time we both got home, we didn't necessarily have a major amount of time to put you know, spectacular meals together. Which I think is the reality for a lot of people. A lot of people. And it was very easy for us to, when we went on our grocery trips, identify convenience wherever possible mm-hmm. and take advantage of it. So I recall finding, in you know, one minute rice packets were just, oh my God, amazing. We loved it. We loved having these rice meals that we could add to a dinner. Um, I remember mac and cheese to fun foods that we could you could throw in the microwave pull them out and you, you felt like you were giving yourself a meal uh, we were newly married we had an apartment 
it was like we were finding our way <laughs> and ultimately um taking taking um taking advantage of whatever whatever options for added convenience we could find now we did have venison steaks like you mentioned but even the meaning behind that back then was completely different. And I remember there was a little bit of a steep learning curve or taste acquisition that you went through just even getting used to eating wild game on a regular basis. Yeah, so. or getting used to cooking it, honestly, because I hadn't cooked a whole lot of meat in general and then take something that's super lean and really needs a lot of fat and to be cooked yeah, just right. Yeah, I mean, I think back to, <clears throat> man, I loved cereal so much, <laughs> I, especially every, every you know, pregnancy. I felt like that was the thing I craved and I wasn't buying any sort of organic, you know, puff. I was, I was buying like Reese's oh, yeah. puffs or, you know, frosted flakes. And I don't say that to like belittle people who are making those choices now. I'm saying I never thought twice about what was in that food. I never thought twice about what the ingredients were. I never even thought twice about why there would be an, an other side of the aisle with um, basically every single type of cereal, just cleaner ingredients, cleaner in quotes, right? Because sometimes they're, you know, not that great. But um, it just never crossed my mind. And so it's funny now looking back because I think, wow, that I, I see how that food had an impact on my overall health. Personally, I, I was sick a lot. Mm. I mean, I would be getting pneumonia in the middle of summer. I remember we all got the flu. I like every year. I, we just, I personally felt like my body was not in a state of optimal health whatsoever. And then that was sort of confirmed when we, we um, got pregnant with Ruthie and found out that, you know, she was going to have a, a potential birth defect and we didn't really understand what that looked like. And then, uh, you know, Sophie just, she was a thriving little girl, but there were, there's been huge improvements, mm -hmm. even watching her change her diet from mm -hmm. age four to now that she's 11. And so it's one of those things that when you're in the moment, it seems silly to, you know, fret over what you're eating because you, you're not thinking about that. It's not even really on your radar. Mm. And it, you, there's usually a catalyst or a reason why people sort of open their eyes to like, wait a minute, what am I eating? What am I consuming? And sometimes that catalyst is just, Hey, I'm watching this other person do it and they look like they're thriving and they're telling me about their experience and it's really awesome. I think maybe that's an area in my life I could improve. Or sometimes it's a personal thing where we are like, hey, we're not, something happens and we're not feeling well. Or, um, you know, even the last two years, I think could have been a catalyst for some folks to change their perspective on their food journey. Um and for us, it was a combination of personally not feeling 100% great and then also like watching our um, pregnancy unfold a little bit unexpectedly and not giving getting answers as to why that could have been and just kind of getting this like, oh, well, it's, it's usually, you know, something in your environment or a nutritional deficiency, but we don't really know. Um, that was a huge 
gut punch that I think really became a pivotal moment in our journey. And hindsight, it's easy to see. At the time, no idea, right? I remember that. I will never forget that day ever in my life. It was uh, middle of the week. We, I, I left work to show up at, was it Children's Hospital or... I don't know what hospital it was. It was, it was downtown, I think. We and, had multiple scans, but and um, show up, met you in the parking lot. We walked in, and we were gonna figure out the gender that day. We were gonna. It was an exciting day, mm-hmm. and it turned into a. Hey, it's, it seems as though, you know, your baby's feet aren't developing properly to, oh, it's by, by the way, it's a girl. Did, did you know that? I mean, it was like, I, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe it. Uh, it was like, I, I didn't care anymore about the gender. Uh, really, 0%. I just remember thinking, what, what, what did you just say? Yeah. And um, I remember us um, leaving the parking lot very separated like we didn't even talk we just left because i had to go back to work i think you had to go back to work yeah we just both went back to our separate jobs as if you know nothing had just happened i mean it felt it felt so normalized right that that there was no explanation it's just this is how it is and you have to go back now and deal with that and i think i think for you especially right because i you know, I'm going to my mom, my dad. I'm like, hey, this is what the doctor said. What on earth does this mean? And, and they're looking up stuff and trying to help me figure it out. And um, I was just an emotional wreck. And um, I'm, sure, I'm sure it was the same for you in those moments as we went back to our jobs. Um, I actually didn't go back. I, I called my boss and I was crying. And I said, you know, they, we did the anatomy scan. They said it's a girl, but they said, you know, it looks like she has something called bilateral clubbed feet. And they said she might not walk, which, which was inaccurate information, by the way, to give. Yeah, as a medical professional, they should have known better before they spoke. But this was the information they gave us, right? Bilateral clubbed feet. She might not walk. We're not really sure. Go call your pediatrician. And I went to my parents' house, I think, and mm. I was just like, because it was like, you know, in the afternoon, I was like, I'm not going back to work. This, no, I can't. I don't know, which isn't something I would normally do. But, um, anyways, without getting too far in the weeds, because Ruthie now is fully, she's good to go. Recovered. I don't even know if he's used the word recovered, but, um, corrected. Yeah, it's a, it's a very corrected thing now. It made the first year of her life a bit challenging, being in and out of the hospital, getting casts on her legs and things like that. But I'm super thankful for that basic technology that we were able to utilize to straighten out her little feet. Um, but it's moments like that, right? So there were other prayer, uh, scares in my pregnancy. At one point they thought I had, you know, a specific virus where they mm-hmm. said, oh, she could be born uh, deaf if this is the virus you have, cytomegalo. <laughs> I mean, it was just one 
uh, explosion after another, I felt like. And it just, it wasn't an experience of having this been your first sort of pregnancy experience. This wouldn't, this wasn't something that was like smooth sailing. And so I felt, I I just felt very discontent. And in that journey is when we started to sort of say, what's going on in and around our home that could be potentially leading to us having less than ideal health outcomes. So we did a lot of things like we changed, you know, some of our household products and I, you know, tried to figure out simpler ways to clean and use our laundry detergent and just getting rid of fragrance, things that now seem like everyone's talking about them. But seven years ago, it was kind of a new trend. And then from there, the obvious next move was moving into food. And in our introduction to this sort of like ancestral diet, real food, you know, biologically appropriate eating, um, our first little jump into there was the idea of raw dairy, which is not a conventional uh, route to take when you're entering into real food. So, um, Yeah, do you, should we jump into our philosophy now as a family? I think I think touching on that raw dairy component, you know, the reason behind that, you know, if people wanted to know, well, how, how on earth did you get to raw dairy and why? You know, I think I think that would be a question that that I would want to know, um, and I think you know I could answer some of it, but at the end of the day, um, you were the one that was driving that, and you know, from my point of view. I was watching doctor's appointments with Ruthie early on in her her life, and yeah, we had casting appointments, and that was that was a whole thing. Um, but we weren't at that point trying to help correct her feet with her diet. That was not ever, I don't think, no um, something that was on our minds. However, what did end up happening was that she became very fussy um she had a hard time um at night she was she would cry a lot and i remember her spitting up all the time and we took her to i believe the pediatrician or at some capacity we got a lot of advice saying to us you know maybe cut out these foods or um hey take and put her on a um, hypoallergenic formula and that might help her and we tried those things and then we had to deal with just major amounts of gas and constipation and her, she couldn't digest this stuff mm-hmm. I mean it was like uh, she started developing like eczema mm-hmm. um, I, that, that's what I remember and I remember at one point and this is the end of mine would love to hear your perspective as well but all of a sudden, you're talking to me about how you're going to make your own formula. And you were, you were like phrasing it to me as if I needed to give you the stamp of approval because this was a big deal. And I'm thinking, you're her mother. If you're feeling like this is the best option for our family and for her health, I'm in. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> um, and then we started making the formula and it, it smelled kind of bad sometimes. <laughs> But uh, I I remember seeing almost immediate improvement 
in all of those aspects. Yeah. Um, so. So, uh, yeah, basically we, we, um, I was working full time. So when I went back to work full time, uh, it just, it wasn't super sustainable for me. And we had a nanny and your mom actually helping with our kids. And so we, we switched Ruth to formula and, you know, I bought the really expensive organic, the best thing I could find. And it just seemed to worsen all of her symptoms. And then I did some research and, um, you know, I think this is where I really found the Weston A. Price Foundation is because they had a, a lot of information <clears throat> about commercial infant formula and how, you know, it's not as regulated and it's not as um, pure and real food based as we would assume it might be because, you know, it's nourishing the most vulnerable of the population. <clears throat> and so once I sort of peeked behind the curtain of commercial formula and then read a little bit of the history of, okay, well, what did we do before that was available on the grocery store shelves? It, um, it started to make a lot of sense why, because Sophia had been on formula too. And so it started to make a lot of sense why I was seeing, um, the same outcomes with both children. And I, I was like, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a more, there just had to be something better than that. So I um, found a recipe for homemade formula, which um, was a little bit of a scary move for me because it felt like I didn't ever know anyone who had done that before. And so I went searching for people who had, and I did a lot of research around local farms here and talked to people who had utilized um, this raw dairy to make this homemade formula, which those two things together sound really out there. And it ended up being really life-changing for Ruth, I think. And so that was sort of the first realization that um, food was really, really powerful. And, you know, we, we'll talk about sort of our raw dairy journey itself, I think, on a whole other podcast. But there was there was fear there involved because, you know, every everything on the internet will tell you that raw dairy will kill you or that it's it's likely going to harm you. And it's definitely not any more nutritious than commercialized um, processed milk, which is funny because that's been so the opposite of our experience and so the opposite of thousands of other people's experiences that it makes you start to wonder, I'm reading these things, I'm seeing these agencies make these claims, and yet it's just not living up to my observations. And that's a hard place to sit in when you're like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm hearing this, but I'm seeing this, and I have real life personal experience, and I've talked to a lot of other people who do too. And that, um, I think that's the most uncomfortable piece of anytime you're doing anything that's like a little bit out of mainstream uh conventional diet culture so even us being hunters I think about that sometimes because there's this idea that oh well we have access to grocery stores like why would I ever try to go shoot a a deer in the woods or eating organ meat which is like so Mm. it's it's either like oh that's trendy I'm into that or it's like what are you talking about um or raw dairy or um 
embracing like butter, <laughs> the real, the real fats, the real heroes, all of those things can, can, um, come with a certain level of like emotional and intellectual challenge because there are opposing views in this area. Even the idea to like consume animal products, right? Be vegan or not be vegan. There's, there's all sorts of conflicting stories. So sitting with that um, sort of discomfort and figuring out what was truly best for our family, it was a big piece of Ruthie's story. And um, now, almost six years later, I'm so thankful for those decisions we made. And the best part is that we didn't stop with the dairy. We didn't say, oh, that was a good switch. I'm really glad we switched to sourcing our dairy locally now. Um, I think we're good. You know, we didn't stop there. And we can talk about this small incremental steps that we made. I think the ones that I remember early on were just, it was just like a learning period for me. Like it was just like, I was just consuming information. I was listening to podcasts. I was reading books. I was reading articles. I was reading journals, like printed journals and understanding just like, cause I need framework before I can jump into something. And I think a lot of people are like that, but I think there's a lot of people who just want to jump in yeah. and that works for them too. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, felt like I was just like an investigator and I was unearthing all of these crazy dietary truths that had stood the test of time and yet no one was talking about them. And so um, then just one by one, we've started implementing, you know, and for a while, there's some weird overlap. Like for a while, we were sourcing our raw dairy and still buying, you know, ramen to snack on at nighttime or... The flaming Hot Cheetos. I love flaming Hot Cheetos. <laughs> so it wasn't like all of a sudden our food like matched up perfectly. It looked like, okay, we spend way more money on a half gallon of milk than we would on, you know, three weeks worth of a bag of chips. But yeah. it was just how it played out realistically in our house. That stage of learning for me and and I and I think that there are just really and I don't want to get into like marriage and the best way to react to each other but for me I've always just trusted you so much in this arena and you know step after step next you know improvement after next improvement I was just Hey, what's what's next? I'm in. I'm game. Now, I remember Did we try gluten-free at one point? Yeah, so there was a point of time um I'm glad you bring this up because there was also a season where again, it was not this automatic change to our food and I went through like a lime-like illness still to this day wouldn't diagnose it as anything in particular but I know I had intense fatigue and body aches and just weird brain fog that very much mimicked the symptoms that your mom had and um and so I I went through a period of healing where I cut out corn gluten dairy and maybe sugars um it was like a six to nine month period I, I wasn't a hundred percent 
But that was definitely a part of it too, is this like elimination piece. I, I actually think that that's a very logical first step for people is to say, hey, uh, there's a lot of bad food in the grocery store. It's overwhelming. I'm going to take the heavy hitters like the dairy and the gluten because that's what everyone talks about. And I'm just going to go ahead and cut those out, which is an approach for sure. But I, I think the thing that I eventually, the conclusion I eventually came to was, hey, uh, cutting out these massive food groups doesn't really get to the healing route it's just a sort of eliminating an adjutant is that a word i don't know an agitator sounds good <laughs> sounds good um and that there there was more to the story in terms of like the quality of our of your of your dairy and the process of fermenting grains in a way that helps pre-digest some of those anti-nutrients in your weeded products so there was more to learn but I'm glad you said that because, yes, we did start on a path of all of a sudden, hey, uh, these are the symptoms we're experiencing. Let's go ahead and cut these things out. Because I think there were some things that I refused to do. I never cut out gluten. <laughs> no, you didn't. Whether it was good gluten or bad gluten, I was just like, you know what? If this is bad for me, like if, 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 if gluten, if Jesus broke bread and he was hurting people with the bread that he gave... <laughs> I was like, then I'm down for it and I'm willing to deal with the consequences. And I, I don't think I ever really personally had challenges with gluten at any capacity. No. Um, I'm definitely happy with the, our approach to gluten and to dairy and all those things today. Uh, I've always naturally kind of been a, not a huge dairy person, um, but uh, that's that had nothing to do with with you know wanting to eliminate it or cut it out it was more to do with just taste preference uh, so i think from there i remember you know doing the gluten-free game um around that time a lot of diets were were super like popping off i remember everyone around me doing whole 30 yeah or paleo yep. or um, just flat out i'm gluten-free uh, uh being a vegetarian or a vegan started becoming i'm I respect those op those ideas and those things very much, but they became more prevalent. Mm -hmm. I tell people all the time that I went to culinary school, and when I went to culinary school, we didn't talk about gluten-free at all. And now, that was, what, nowadays, it's like 10 years ago mm -hmm. or more, 12 years ago, whatever. Um. About 11 years ago. Let's be real. I'm trying. I, I'm like, I'm stuck on the math. But 11 years ago, when I was in culinary school, we didn't even discuss gluten-free. What um, about other diets? Dairy we, we did vegetarian options. That was back when like the portobello mushroom was the big hit. Yeah. It was like, oh my gosh, if you don't want to eat meat, like meat and you've chosen, you know, to avoid meat, portobello mushroom is right up your alley. Rarely, though, did we do any dealings with vegan food. Um, we definitely didn't have any impossible burgers or uh, um, protein substitutes, right? We did a minor amount of work with tofu, but tofu was a different thing back then. It wasn't, it wasn't a, um, hey, this is the uh, savior to anyone not eating meat. 
vegan or vegetarian. It was just a, hey, this is an ingredient and there's the ways that we can use it, manipulate it, turn it into food. And oh, by the way, um, you know, sometimes we can use it in addition to meat or in replace of. So um, we, we definitely did that. Um, fast forward to now. And if you're running a, a restaurant or catering of any kind and you don't accommodate gluten-free, vegan, vegetarian, I, I just you know, dairy-free. Um, I, I know it's almost necessary because inevitably with any group of 10 or more, you're going to have one person that's probably gluten-free. Yeah. Um, Which you know because you do catering at your office. We do a lot of catering at our office. And so yeah. it's... it's you can almost guarantee it's more common to see dietary restrictions on the guest preferences for their food than it is to see no dietary restrictions. Wow. And typically the dietary restrictions I would say are most often gluten-free. Uh, that would be the most, the, the number one. Uh, the second is uh, vegetarian or vegan. And then the third being just straight up dairy-free. Hmm. Uh, then we, you know, ra- we rarely get people that send us like, I can't eat cilantro. I don't do onions. I don't, and I don't know if those are. I just don't like these foods, mm-hmm. or if or if they're claiming, but they, you know, they they put them under the dietary restrictions <laughs> zone, right? So <laughs> they're restricted. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's a really common story for a lot of people pursuing their health because they, yeah, they've been eating a product for a long time that happened to contain gluten. And cutting it out really helps them. Or they have a genuine allergy. Those are real things too. So we kind of went on that same journey. I, um, you know, did that period of healing and incorporated gluten back in, but I didn't incorporate fermented grains. I just was eating, you know, regular conventional wheat again. And then as I learned, hey, there's a difference between the way that organic wheat is grown and the way that conventional wheat is harvested because it's uh, sprayed with a desiccant to dry out faster like and by the way that doesn't wash off your wheat you know it's stumbling upon information like that where I'm like oh that's really interesting um you know why do we say that that particular chemical compound is healthy and okay for us to ingest okay well let's look into the science um the same thing with our produce, the same thing with other things too. So it's just one by one, first sort of learning the concept. Also looking back at history has always been really helpful for me because I think people get stuck in this like, oh, you know, what have we done since the 1950s or, you know, they don't <clears throat> maybe zoom out far enough and really look at, hey, what have been the trends of how humans have eaten since the beginning of time? You know, what were the first animals that we domesticated? You know, meaning we brought them along with us or how have we used particular products and and, um, and parts of animals and vegetables and plant foods of all kinds? Um, and so that's been really helpful to sort of set up my framework now for how we eat. And... Um, now I think it's it's a pretty I would say it's the least restrictive food that we've ever consumed I would say we eat just about anything we want all the time because it falls under specific um, 
sort of parameters that we have. And what I say by that is, you know, we eat gluten, we eat dairy. Yeah, by category, right? Right. We're not, we don't eat, I'm not buying Flamin' Hot Cheetos anymore. Right. We're not buying, you know, um, these super sugary branded cereals. Um, if we buy cereal, right? We're not restricting away from cereal. There are some cereals that we say, hey, you know what? After some investigation, this is legit. Let's get some. I honestly probably buy cereal twice a year. Yeah, I know. So I do sort of. I'm just saying that because like I remember seeing cereal at some point in the last, I don't know, a couple months. So Mm -hmm. it feels like. A celebratory. We do cereal. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, and maybe you want to lead us on this topic of sort of how you, how you view food now, because I've talked a lot about how I view it. Mm. Yeah, I. It was so funny even yesterday, you and I talking on the phone as I was walking through Kroger to get my lunch for the week yeah. and I'm just buying ingredients and um, it's not, we joke and kid and when we talk on the phone, you know, uh, I sometimes over dramatize just to, just to be funny, right? But at the end of the day, um, I I am passionate about, it feels like I work out to stay in shape and to stay uh, mentally sharp and with it. And I feel like this is a component of that. So if you're exercising and you're, and you're passionate about staying in shape, staying fit, staying healthy, staying active, however, whatever, however you want to phrase it. It's almost like if you buy a really expensive car that's high performance and then you, you know, put diesel in it or like i guess that's more extreme it's like it it asks for the super gas right the premium gas Mm -hmm. but you put in the regular i know it's i don't know how big of a deal that would have to it but it would you'd be crazy if someone spent all that money on this car and the and the person that handed them their new bmw or mercedes or you know whatever car said you have to put this kind of gas in it and I drove it to the gas station. It's like, ah, he doesn't know. And I, you wouldn't even do that. Now, I'm I'm here working out and I'm um, getting up early. I'm reading. And I'm trying to do things to improve myself. I'm trying to actively and intentionally do things that improves our family and their health. And the fuel, the food that we eat is a major component of that. And, and so I know it's a very strange analogy, but that's, that's really one of the best ways I can put how I view food, food today. It's, it is uh, a necessity and also something that can be um, greater or lesser quality. Um, and uh, it's, it almost, it's almost like an exciting challenge for me to see how well I can do each day. And some days, you know, I don't do as well. What do you mean by that? You don't do as well. So, um, I might show up to the office, and it's a you know Mondays are typically the days that I go grocery shopping, and I buy food for the office. I buy some. Maybe I'll call my wife and say, "Hey, what do I need to have here?" And as I'm reading off the label of some eggs, I realize I've been buying the wrong eggs. Yeah, cage free is a joke. Okay, well. We're looking for pasture raised. Pasture raised. We learned this yesterday. Yes. Roger that. Okay. Um, when I have the time to to do that on Monday, 
Um, also, if I have the energy or if I have the motivation, and some days are harder than others. You know, I'm, by the time it gets to one o'clock, I've been in and out of meetings, and I, I look down at my phone, I'm like, I am, I need to eat food, and I have a meeting coming up at you know maybe one forty-five or two o'clock, and I think to myself, man, I don't have time to drive to Kroger and get food, and even even though I probably do, I just, you know, I go upstairs and I find like granola, and I just eat a bunch of granola to kind of get me through. And it's just sugar-packed granola, and uh, no protein in there. Zero. I mean, it's just it's, tastes delicious, right? And for like thirty minutes, I'm like, "That was a great decision. Went great with some more coffee." Yeah. Next thing you know, I'm, um, I'm feeling it, and and not that like I'm like I feel guilty or I'm like it ruins my day, um, but it does feel like a like like I missed a workout, if that makes sense. Hmm. You know, each meal feels like an opportunity that I have to uh, feel myself in a better way, and I try to I try to take those opportunities. You know, one one meal at a time. You say that, and I think that that's funny because um, that's very like motivational and inspiring for you. Like, I don't see you getting caught up in this. Like, yeah, you never come home in a bad mood because you had granola for lunch. Mm. But there's a lot of people who will hear you say that and think wow, he's got an unhealthy relationship with food. <laughs> because in my brain, having you know walked the path of disordered eating for many years, that was actually how I felt. And it would actually wreck my day. Wow. So it wouldn't be this like, oh my gosh, I, I need to eat something and I eat something that I, I don't feel comfortable eating or that I was just really craving and I, you know... <laughs> I've deprived myself so much that I had zero willpower, which it's not even willpower at that moment, but um, it it would really mess me up. And mm. I would look at, I would be excited for the morning and the next day so that I could start over wow. and have a perfect food day. I was always ready and looking for the perfect food day. So I, I just think that, and we talk about this too, you know, we've, we feel like, Things can get spinned in the wrong direction, right? The devil can take you in a weird way, depending on what your sort of gateway is mm -hmm. or his sort of foothold is. Food is not that for you. You've no. never had a, an inappropriate relationship with food, except for maybe like wanting to snack when you're stressed. Mm. But it's not it's not had deeper roots in your system. No. Like you've you see that as like, hey, I'm excited for this next meal time because I feel amazing after I eat. I love the process of eating and I know that I'm fueling my body and that gives me joy. And I think that that's healthy and normal and good. And I would never look at you and say, you shouldn't say that about food. Yeah, You shouldn't say that you look to each meal as an opportunity because I think you should. I think that that's like something to be excited about and a worthy motivation. Yeah, It feels like a fun hobby. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I legitimately wake up in the morning. <laughs> what am I going to eat today? And I'm excited to to do better. I'm excited. To do, it's, it's like when I go down to the gym and I'm, yeah. and I'm lifting weights and I tell you, I'm like, listen, going for 225. <laughs> And uh, which like I couldn't care less, but yeah, couldn't care I try less. To get excited, but I, I think to myself, why am I working out if I'm not growing in some capacity? Not not just like in size physically, because I don't really even care that much about that, but in capability, in strength, mm -hmm. in you know, the purpose of working out is to be more healthy, to be stronger. I want I want to see my mental capacity and intelligence increase 
through healthy habits and, and, and routines like reading. Um, I want to see my physical capabilities grow and increase. And that sometimes has to do with working out. It sometimes has to do with eating. But having those kind of objectives, those missions, um, yeah, makes it makes it fun for me. And And I wouldn't say that you know, having a poor eating day is something that I, I that I never, that I never do. Because I, I, as I mentioned before, I, it happens to me often and, and it doesn't like wreck my day and it doesn't, it doesn't like super fuel me. Like all of a sudden I'm like, let's get some, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm about to have, go on like a 30, 30 day fast and, you know, drink chicken broth and I, I, it's none of that. It's. It's just like that, That hey, if I feel bad, I think to myself, I probably feel bad right now because, man, I, I shouldn't have drank that soda yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm feeling it today. Or it made it hard for me to sleep last night because mm-hmm. the extra sugar was something my body's not accustomed to. And, um, and I see that as an opportunity to say, you know what, today I'm not going to do that. It wasn't worth it. And it slowly shaped my cravings and my desires for those healthy meals mm-hmm. and you know after a number of days of doing this i think about lunchtime and i cannot wait to eat you know um some eggs some you know maybe it's it's sausage or chicken or you know i don't really ever eat red meat for lunch but i would if it became more common but um some you know leafy greens and some crunchy, you know, carrots or jalapenos and some olives. I mean, it's just like I can't wait to eat that kind of food. And um, it has become something that I do now um, crave. It's become um, it's become something that I desire. And it, it happened kind of slowly and over time. But uh, I do actually look forward to those kinds of meals now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's another thing, too, that I am trying to get better at is just listening to sort of like what my body's telling me in terms of food and acting on it. I am a classic under consumer of protein. Mm. And there are some days where all of a sudden I'm just like, wow, I'm so tired right now. Why is that? And I think back like, man, I, I just, I skipped lunch and mm. I shouldn't have done that. And then I, I feel, well, now I'm lagging. Now I'm having to play catch up a little bit. So, yeah, it is this uh, like relearning, like all the things that we're doing with food, very much unlearning and relearning sort of like, hey, it's okay to have feelings about what I ate. It's okay to have um, varying levels of satisfaction with how I ate today because, you know, was it nutrient dense or not? Was it a celebratory thing? Was it a, a straight nourishment thing? You know, there's all different kinds of categories. So, um getting comfortable sort of placing a value on your day's worth of food is something that's new for people like me, I think, Mm. to say, hey, this is what I ate today. And this is why like people always talk about either keeping a food journal or not keeping a food journal. It can be a very slippery slope for most people Mm. and other people like you would be just like, yeah, let's get, you know, and so (laughs) I just want to recognize that there's different levels of motivation there's different levels of health around those statements and that for me personally I would 
I would steer very far away from keeping a food journal because I, I know that that would um, get very perfectionist very quickly. Got it. Or become sort of a controlling piece. Because that that's what sense. I used to do. I used to write out everything I would eat the following day mm. and make sure I stuck to that. So that we don't, we don't play those games anymore. So um, moving on here. You talked a little bit about what you eat for lunch. I think we could just do a quick rundown of sort of how we eat right now and then um, close this thing out because that's the thing I get asked the most often. And I have a post, you know, what do we actually eat? Yeah. Because we have these philosophies around food and, and um, all of that. But like, how do you actually afford the food you're eating and, and how do you actually have time to cook it? So I'll start with breakfast since it's the morning right now. I, I keep that really simple. I love, you know, starting my day with a protein and a carb um, together. And uh, I've just been into the hard boiled, the soft boiled egg game mm-hmm. with a little bit of salt. It's mm-hmm. been so good. Oh, yeah. Uh, a little bit of sourdough bread I had this morning. That was great. We're out of softened butter, though, so I was sad. Um, but keeping breakfast simple. I know you don't really eat breakfast. I was going to say, I don't know if she wants me to say this. But... No, I'm going to skip that. We'll cut this out. We'll cut out the fact that, (laughs) you know what? I, I don't eat food when I wake up directly in the morning and it doesn't really have anything to do with, um, I don't know what it would have to do with. Uh, I'm down to eat breakfast. If there's food down here and I feel like I want that food and I feel hungry, I eat that food. It has nothing to do with being restrictive or has everything to do with, I wake up in the morning um, I drink a bunch of water, like a ton of water. And then I have coffee and I read. And by the time that coffee's starting to kick in, I'm getting ready to go to work. Yeah. And I get to the office um, and I don't really have time to, to sit down and have breakfast or eat, you know, a snack. And the quick, convenient foods, I do refrain from trying to eat. Um, I don't want to eat a granola bar and go to work. I just feel like that's not it for my body. That's not what I want. If I am going to eat breakfast, it's because... I got up really early. I had a little extra time where you had prepared um, getta and eggs and, and potatoes. Um, and I come downstairs and I'm like, let's go. Right. I eat a plate of that and I'm, I feel great. Um, I have established, though, rhythms of lunch <laughs> that uh, um, if, we're, if we're moving into lunch, I don't know what you eat for lunch, to be honest. Because I'm never here. It's a mystery. It's a mystery. So I'm actually really <laughs> excited to hear what you eat for lunch. This is great. It's usually either leftovers or it's like quick, uh, I call them like snack lunches. Mm. Like I'll grab a handful of salami or pepperoni or turkey or um, there's like a, a tuna and dill combo mm. that I get. Tuna? Uh-huh. You eat tuna here? Occasionally. About once a month. Actually. I literally did not know we have tuna in the house. Yeah, I get it. Uh, actually, it might be uh, a different type of fish. It might be... Um, Is it mackerel? No. Hmm. I can't remember. But I get it off of Thrive. It's great. Um, so some sort of animal protein. And then uh, uh, lunch is oftentimes a hard meal for me. But like I said, it's usually quick snacky things I can grab. Sometimes still feel whip up a fried rice. Sometimes we do like a cooked lunch. You know, it it varies so much. I mean, one day I'm making homemade tomato soup and grilled cheese with sourdough. And the next day I'm like grabbing a handful of salami. Hmm. 
um, definitely something I could get more consistent on. But as we grow in our meal planning, it will naturally happen. And there's seasons. There's seasons where like it's so much easier because there's an abundance of fresh fruits and veggies and Mm -hmm. quick meat that we can have. And then there's seasons like right now in the winter where it's a little bit more challenging because you're more prone to soups and other things. There's less quick produce around because it's... It's just not that season. Well, maybe I can help you with lunch because I have a pretty good routine. Well, you eat salads all day, every day. And I just feel like that's great for like once or twice a week. But I can't do a salad. You can't do a salad every day? I don't want to become a salad every day. Well, the salad has nothing to do with the fact that I think salads are just so unbelievably good for me. It's And here's what it is. Um, I focus highly on proteins and natural fats um, for lunch. But quite frankly, I don't like the eating process to be I ate three hard-boiled eggs and then that's lunch for me. Does that make sense? Like I, I want to have what feels more like a meal. I want to have the time. I want to have that routine of sitting down for lunch and eating lunch every day. Sure. Um, and, and it's gotten to the point now where at my office, because I want to be so intentional about eating a good lunch that's good for me and having time set apart to do that, that I will, I will close the door to an, to a meeting room or to an office, um, so that I have that time for me to eat, to enjoy my food. I look forward to that. It's like alone time. It's it's become something that I love lunch. Not even just because like oh well he's not working because oftentimes I am working during lunch, uh, phone calls or whatever. But I I always have that time where. Um, I can sit down, eat lunch, and... Um, All the stay-at-home moms right now with children are rolling their eyes. I'm sure. Because none of us get that. I'm so you sure. want to say why lunch is difficult for me? Because it hits right in the middle yeah. of, hey, Ray probably needs to go down for a rest. Um, Sophie and Ruthie aren't hungry yet because they don't eat till like one. And I have to get some work done quick while Ray's napping. Oh, by the way, my kids are all needing my attention all at the same time. I don't have an office Well, you have breakfast shut. and I have lunch. <laughs> a trade-off so i think that's funny because yeah you're yeah man it sounds like a really peaceful lunch experience oh my gosh i i wish i had a door to shut in my office <laughs> you could eat in the bathroom keep nice ray will still be yelling under the door she though would. mom uh so moving on past that painful realization that you have such a blissful time i'm gonna start calling right around like noon hey what's up hey That'll be a perfect lunch conversation. I'm in. (laughs) Moving on to dinner, because we don't do a ton of snacks. You know, people always ask, like, what do your kids eat for snacks? Um, Okay, I would give them fruit, um, some sort of, we might have like an organic cracker laying around that they could eat, but I usually try to say, hey, eat that with like a cheese or a pepperoni. We usually have to count out, you know, Ruthie, eat three pepperonis or whatever. Um, And then... Yeah, we don't, we don't do a ton of snacks, you know, every about once a week. Sophie will make herself like a snack plate where she cuts up fresh veggies and fruit. And she just likes that. Um, but we're not like a huge, like we don't really do pretzels or we don't do any of the conventional like goldfish or any of that. Because when we were consuming that, it was it wasn't actually adding any nutrient value. It was just like empty crunching and didn't really serve us well. It was so. almost a rhythm that created a need for more of that. Yeah. Rhythm. Like it was like yeah. Now, now 
our kids' bodies didn't need any of the anything that was coming out of that those goldfish. Oh, my word, no. But yeah. after they had it two or three times in a row, it was almost as though their bodies expected to receive some more goldfish every day. Yeah, it's a bit true. And I'll tell you what, those are the routines with kids that for us are the most challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, the concept of bedtime snack haunts me day in and day out. 100% you're the one my who, fault. You're I'm the aware. author of that. I'm routine. aware. But uh, yeah, it's, that's a tough one. Yeah, so we don't do a ton of snacks, but our dinners are usually pretty um, hefty. So Joey doesn't do a lot of red meat at lunch, but our, we do a lot of red meat during oh, the yeah. week. Because we have venison, which we hunt, and then we have, uh, we just purchased a quarter cow, which uh, what I think we got around 100 and something, 160 pounds maybe, mm-hmm. um, maybe less than that. But um, So we do a lot of red meat. Our, our dinners are simple like they were you know back in the day when we were cooking in our apartment but we've just upgraded the quality of the side ingredients so you know an organic basmati rice simple same amount of effort as the rice packet almost you know and um it's usually that protein veggie starch model uh occasionally we'll do something you know a little bit outside of that but we try to make sure we hit all three of those um sort of macronutrient goals and then keep it simple i mean what did we eat last night i made that like faux chili dip that was like i had a pound of ground venison thawed in the fridge that's all i had <laughs> so i combined it with some canned beans and corn and some organic um enchilada sauce and like made this little dip out of it and it was dinner and it was great yeah i liked it simple simple stuff um really affordable that that dinner was probably you know seven dollars to make mm-hmm. total it, it was very cheap and then we have other dinners where you know we're thawing the new york strip from our quarter cow and we're grilling asparagus which can be a little bit expensive um and we're like making you know well, we might have bread or rice or potatoes with that yeah. it's still simple but if obviously the, pr- the price of that dinner is going to be a little bit different. So uh, variety is key, I feel like, and just embracing the real food, keeping it simple, um, and not, yeah, I don't, what, what other thoughts do you have? I was just going to say that we've been talking about a lot of the ways that we've been learning, right? We talked about when we were in our apartment, some of the things we were learning then, some of the pivotal moments that shaped who we are um, and and what we believe and what we want to pursue and what means a lot to us. And we've been on that journey now for a little while. And I guess the question I would ask is, what are we learning today? What are some of the new things that we're getting into that uh, we haven't necessarily quite figured out yet or we're just starting to figure out or we're getting into this next? You know, what, what are some of those things? Uh, for me personally, I, I want to infuse some more variety into my breakfasts so i'm i i tried a great recipe yesterday i loved it sprouted muffin Mm. of sorts um so that's more of just like a a muscle i'm trying to flex a little bit better because i feel like i don't think a lot of about breakfast ahead of time and then all of a sudden the kids are hungry and if we don't have a animal protein in the house like bacon or sausage they get really frustrated so personally i'm trying to get better at meal planning for breakfast Mm -hmm. um Another thing I, I would love to do, and some of it requires 
equipment I just don't have. I, w- I would love to get into milling my own flour freshly mm-hmm. here, and buying the wheat berries and, and experimenting with that. So that's in the future for sure. Um, but that takes a grain mill because it's quite an art to mill your own flour. And so I want to wait till I have something that I could have real success with if I'm making homemade sourdough. Um, you know, I, I think the areas that I would love to continue to grow in are, I, I know how to ferment. I have done it before, but I'm just not in a good habit of making, you know, like a batch every couple weeks of fermented veggies, of fermented veggies or yeah. sauerkraut or something. Cause when we have it, I like it. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, I just sort of treat it like, eh, I, I know how to do that. I don't need to practice it at all whereas then I think wow we really should be incorporating this more into our diet so I I think that's something this summer especially I think will help sort of preserve some of our harvest from our garden but also something I want to put more into practice because I think yeah it's really cool if you know how to do these things but if you're not actually doing them on a regular basis like the bread I, I I nailed that down like I have a rhythm of making bread now I want that same rhythm of making ferments. Yeah, that's I good. Think is that is my next thing? I would love that. I, I know that I love the fermented veggies. Yeah, and get creative with it, like you know, jalapenos and, yeah, I'm down. and peppers, and oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah, that's awesome. No, I, I, um, I think that's fantastic, and and um, I think I think that's a great time to to begin to wrap it up. I think that if we were going to leave people with with anything, it would be that. Um, we're happy they're here. Um, but you know, in addition to that, we, we, we love seeing people love seeing people on their own journeys. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, what would be some ways that you'd recommend people starting those journeys? Uh, what are some resources that they could, um, access that could, you know, you know, jumpstart their real food journey, real food journey. So, uh, I think a big part of the confusion is just that there's so much information out there. And so one of the best things that I've done personally, just to solidify everything, is sort of like put this all into a little um, condensed guide. And I have that. I have a real food guide um, that's a PDF that I think just does a really good job of outlining okay, what is this thing called traditional food? And what's the difference between food we eat now and food we maybe eat would have eaten, you know, 120 years ago? And um, simple swaps, because let's be honest, we don't live on a homestead, and so we do still buy a lot of our food um, from a regular grocery store, right? So let's talk about simple ways that um, we can swap out our food. So I think that's a great place to start. And if you want to you want to start more at a high level. Obviously, I, I have book recommendations on my website. Um, there's a lot of great places to start, but I think that that is good. And this whole podcast is an extension of Homegrown, and the whole purpose of Homegrown is to help inspire, educate, and equip families, really. Yeah. Children, you know, with our children's resources, our children's nutrition curriculum, and then our early elementary intro to real food activity book which is the longest title i've ever picked for a resource (laughs) i will never do that again and um you know we have free guides on there too we have a free sourdough guide and we have a free contemplating homeschool guide so Mm. 
I would say homegrowneducation.org is um, obviously going to be my number one because you're on the Homegrown podcast. So <laughs> that's a good place to start your resource um, searching. I also have book lists on the resources page. So so get in there. Uh, check out homegrowneducation.org. Um, find Homegrown. Find Elizabeth. Find, what do you go? Liz. Liz. Find Liz on on Instagram at homegrown underscore education. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find me at Joey Hazelmeyer. The only one. The only one. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'll provide some comic relief uh, during your food journey, and Elizabeth will provide you with um, inspiration, education, um, and uh, I think that's a wrap. That's a wrap.